So I guess everybody ought to be turning in their Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, because we're going to be continuing our study there. In the book of Galatians, we are making our way through it, and uh, I hope it has been a blessing to you. It has been a a great encouragement to me. This is an interesting passage of text, because so oftentimes when we when we think about the Apostle Paul, and especially when we think about the Apostle Paul in the context of the book of Galatians, we tend to see Paul as this rather severe theologian, academic, harsh, no compromise, take no prisoners, um, uncompromising type of individual. And and that would make sense because so far what we have seen is we've seen Paul say, oh, you foolish Galatians. Um, And we've described this in rather harsh terms that Paul was not being very gentle with them. And so sometimes we tend to label Paul as being very ungentle and even unkind or even mean in a certain sense. And certainly we can understand Paul's Uh, labeling Paul or describing Paul as this rather severe academic, this theologian, because up until now, Paul has been giving us, uh, he's been exegeting scripture. He's been uh, defending a case. He's been making a point and he has been using scripture to to support his position and to support his. His case. And so as we come to Galatians chapter four, we are going to see a completely different side of Paul. But before we get there, let me just give you a quick review of where we have been so that we can all get on the same page. Perhaps some of you are visiting today or you've missed a few weeks. Well, we need to make sure that we're all kind of going in the same direction. What's going on here in the book of Galatians is that Paul and Barnabas, on their first missionary journey, they went through the the region of Galatia. And it was a region and they began proclaiming the gospel to various churches and they proclaim the gospel of grace. They proclaim that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, on the merits of Christ alone. And this gospel of grace was received by these Galatian churches with great joy. And I'm sure that Paul and Barnabas left the region with with rejoicing and with great praise and thanksgiving. But immediately after Paul left, perhaps even uh, if we read in the book of Acts, even perhaps while they were there, but very soon after a group of people who we call the Judaizers came in and they said, no, 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 no. Paul's a Paul, first of all, is kind of a self-proclaimed apostle. You know, he never really walked with the Lord and Who is he to be calling himself an apostle? So you really can't trust what Paul was saying. And Paul didn't give you everything you need to know. See, Paul told you about Jesus and salvation by grace. But what he didn't tell you is that the way you receive grace is, first of all, you need to follow Jewish custom. You need to follow the Jewish law. You need to first be circumcised and follow the dietary laws of the Jewish dietary laws and, and, and follow the, uh, the Jewish holy days. And then grace kicks in. In other words, you've got to do some stuff first. You've got to earn your way to God first. And then once you've done these good things, once you've, be, uh, you've been circumcised and you've done these external uh, acts first, then grace kicks in. And the problem is, is that these Galatian churches, these new believers, were, were believing these 
Judaizers, these false teachers who had perverted the message of grace. And they began to question Paul's authority. And so up until now, what Paul has been doing is he's been addressing these issues um, really academically and theologically. He's been going back to the Old Testament and he's been showing, no, the gospel of grace is one that is grounded in the Old Testament. It isn't something that I just made up. And I am an apostle and I am truly an apostle. I've been received by the other apostles and my commission is straight from Jesus Christ himself. And he's been doing this in a very uh, systematic and organized and academic manner. So that's where we have been. But here's where we're going to go. Paul's tone is going to shift dramatically from the severe, um, harsh words that Paul has spoken. We are now going to see, what we're going to see is we're going to see Paul's heart. We are not going to see Paul the theologian. We are going to see Paul whose heart is broken for these people. We are going to see a a man who pleads with these people and we see a man just pouring out tears upon tears to see that these people would not be deceived, to see that the people that he brought the gospel to would not be deceived, but that they would receive what he said and that they would turn away from the false teaching. And so we are going to see Paul... um, I'm going to look at him from three different aspects. We will see Paul as their brother, Paul as their pastor, and even Paul as their mother as he uses these maternal themes to show his anguish uh, and his love for the, the churches of Galatia. And we are going to turn from not only the tone of Paul's letter, but we are going to turn from exposition and move into exhortation. There's not a whole lot of, I guess, theological exposition in this passage, but Paul is going to plead with these people. He's going to exhort them. He's going to uh, um, literally beg them to not be deceived by these false teachers who have come and deceived them, but rather to trust in Christ and to grow in Christ and to make sure that Christ is formed in them. So this is probably one of the more intimate pictures, one of the more intimate passages that we see of the Apostle Paul. So whatever you think of the Apostle Paul, make sure we have a complete understanding of him, that yes, he can be severe. Yes, he can be harsh. Yes, he can be straight to the point and direct. Yes, he can be all of those things. But Paul is also a man who loves his the church. He loves the people of God and he His heart breaks when he sees the people of God turning aside from the gospel that saves. And so we are going to see that element in Paul today. So let's go ahead. Let's read. Follow along with me as I read in verses chapter 12 through 20 of Galatians chapter 4. And it goes like this. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You've done me no wrong. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is the sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that, if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. 
But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner. And not only when I am present with you, my children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. And so Paul begins this exhortation with, I beg of you, brethren, brethren, not you foolish Galatians, not you numbskulls, my brethren, I'm begging of you. This, I'm begging of you to be like I am. And this is a very common imperative in, in Paul's writings. Oftentimes, Paul says, become like me. Sometimes Paul says, follow me as I follow the Lord. Sometimes Paul just says, follow me. That's an amazing statement. How many of you right now are willing to call somebody up and say, hey, brother, follow me? Follow my example. I don't think Paul's being arrogant. I think Paul is convinced that I am serving the Lord in sincerity and truth. Now you do do so also. Follow me. Become like me. So we have to ask, what exactly does he mean to be like him? I think what Paul is saying in the context of the book of Galatians and what we're going to see, especially in verse 19, I think Paul is saying, I want you to be free in grace. I no longer want you to be under the bondage of legalism, under this idea that somehow you have to earn favor to to, um, earn God's favor. Remember, God already loved you. When you were a sinner, Christ died for you. When did he love you? When you were a sinner. He loved us first. Therefore, we love him. Be free in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be like me in that respect. I am no longer trusting in my heritage to get favor with God. I am no longer trusting in circumcision as the means by gaining God's approval. I am no longer trusting in the fact that I was trained under the greatest Pharisee teacher in the world. I'm not trusting in my education to to gain favor with God. I'm not trusting in my position. I'm not trusting in my, my, my bloodline. I am not trusting in the things I have done. I am not trusting in uh, religious ritual to earn favor by God. You need to stop that as well. Now, be like me. I am trusting in Christ and Christ alone. Be like me. Be free in the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in verse 19, I think help supports this. Paul is saying, I labor until Christ is formed in you. And I think the idea here is be like me. Christ is being formed in me. I am trusting solely in him. Be like me in that respect. My brethren, be like me. Stop trusting in merit to earn favor with God, but rather trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and let Christ dwell in you and live his life out through you and be formed in Jesus Christ. That's what I want you to be. And Paul then goes on, brethren, I beg of you, become as I am, for I have become as you. This is interesting because Paul sometimes would say, um, Follow me as I follow the Lord. But now Paul is saying, I become like me because not he's saying become like me because I became like you. Paul was a good Jew. As I'd mentioned, Paul was born, he says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I think that means that he 
has the right bloodline, the right lineage. My parents were Hebrews. And all the way down, I was a good Hebrew child. I was circumcised the eighth day. I lived my life blameless according to the law. I was trained in the law under a guy by the name of Gamaliel. This is like going to the finest university and being trained under the, the finest professor. I, that's who I was. I knew that I was a, a child of Abraham. And you guys were Gentile dogs. There was this huge rift, this huge chasm between a good Jew like Paul and Gentile Galatians. And Paul says, become like me. See, I became like you. I set all of that aside. I set aside all of my cultural sensitivities so that I could proclaim the gospel to you. There was this huge cultural barrier between Paul and the Galatians. And so perhaps this was not an easy step for somebody who was raised one way to set all of those things aside in order to preach the gospel. In other words, Paul is saying, I adapted to your manner of life. I didn't compromise. I didn't start worshiping pagan idols or anything like that. But I accommodated myself so that I could preach the gospel to you, to open a path to the gospel. In other words, I laid aside my dietary sensitivities and I ate bacon. And I laid aside Jewish ritual so that I could meet you where you are at and proclaim the gospel to you. See, be like me. Be free like me. I became like you so that you would hear the gospel. I laid aside all of these things so that they were of less importance for me than, than you hearing the gospel. And whatever it takes for you to hear the gospel, I will lay those things that will hinder that. I will lay those things to the side. And so Paul comes to them, not from a sense of superiority, but he reaches people where they are. And folks, as ministers of the gospel, we need to be conscious that we need to meet people where they're at. It's real simple for me to stand up here in this pulpit and yell at people and say, believe the gospel. But folks, sometimes we need to come down outside of church and we need to go to where the people are. And yes, sometimes where we go to the, where the people are, it's messy and it's nasty and it's not sterile and it's not a Christian environment. And yet we need to lay aside these things so that we can proclaim the gospel where the gospel is not being preached. I am not saying that we adapt or adopt pagan ways. Paul didn't start worshiping pagan gods and going through pagan rituals. But he laid aside his religious and cultural sensitivities to make sure that the gospel is preached. Simone and I spent many, many, many years in the bicycle racing scene. There aren't many Christians in that environment. A bunch of dope-smoking, drunken hippies who... uh, 
who are lost. And when we would go across the country racing, we would live with them. And we would spend our time in the condos with them at the races and uh, we would live with them and eat with them and fellowship with them and love them. And, and it wasn't always, uh, well, it was rarely Christian. Usually it was just me and Simone. But we had opportunities to share the gospel with people. And I know... Scott, you know, out at the skate park, you got to put up with language that you're not, that may be offensive to you, talk that is offensive to you, and we've got to lay it aside and say, you know what, my goal is not to clean up your speech. My goal is not to make sure that you stop dropping an F-bomb. My goal is to make sure that you know the gospel. And when you know the gospel and your heart is transformed, some of these other things start to take care of themselves. But if all I get you to do is to stop dropping F-bombs, that's all I've done. I've reformed your exterior. This is what the Judaizers want to do. I just want to fix your exterior. I just want to fix you from the outside. Not interested for the most part. I want to see Christ formed in people. And when Christ is formed in people, the exterior begins to change and all of a sudden people begin to uh, say, hey, you know what? I don't know what the things I'm saying, the way I'm talking is really quite honoring to God. What do you think? Do you think I ought to kind of do something about that? Yeah, I think we can do something about that. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what the Bible says, uh, one who is being formed in the image of Christ. What kind of words come out of their mouths? Let's talk about that. This is where Paul was. He was reaching people from where, where they were. He wasn't standing up saying, you bad, evil, wicked, mean people, you've got to stop doing what you're doing. And when you're ready to stop doing what you're doing, come on over and talk to me. The paragon of virtue. Paul said, nope, I'm, I'm laying it all aside and I'm going to get down with you guys where you're at. Why should we be surprised? How did Christ reach us? Did he sit up in heaven and command from above, repent, everybody? No, he put on flesh. He dwelt among us. He walked amongst us. He walked in the the dirt and in the muck and in the mire. And he bled and he died on a sinner's cross so that you and I might believe the gospel. Jesus himself modeled this. Jesus never compromised the message. And yet Jesus stepped off his heavenly throne and stepped into a feeding trough so that you might be saved. This is where Paul's going. I will not compromise the gospel of Jesus Christ, but everything short of compromising, I will do whatever is necessary to reach you with the gospel. Folks, wherever you live, work, and play, This is where the gospel needs to be preached. This is where the gospel needs to be proclaimed. What is your hobby? What is the thing you enjoy doing? Are you a homeschool person? Are you uh, on a board at at your school? Are you a a board member at at your job? Where do you work? That, folks, I know it's a dark place. Most likely it's a dark place. This is where the light gets shown. This is where the the gospel gets proclaimed. It's easy right here for me to stand up here and proclaim the gospel. 
It's easy to hear an amen. It's very easy to get an amen. But Paul is saying, I want you to step down and get into the muck and the mire and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on and says, you've done me no wrong. In other words, you didn't fight me. You didn't accuse me. You didn't treat me badly. I came to you with the gospel and you treated me well. You did not fight me. Remember how you accepted me. So we see Paul as a brother. I beg of you, brethren, be like me. Be free in the gospel. You've not done me any wrong. You didn't harm me. Be free. Have Christ being formed in you. Then we begin to see Paul as a pastor. I want you to know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that, was, and that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Paul was their pastor, and he was their pastor by providence. We should not be surprised. Paul says, that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached to you the gospel the first time. I understand that to mean that Paul's visit to the Galatian region was not a planned visit. But it was because of an illness that brought Paul to Galatia. That's what he says. It was because of an illness that brought me to you, that brought the gospel to you the first time. It appears then that Paul was going somewhere else or had another plan. But Paul got sick and ended up in the Galatian region. And there, Paul began to preach the gospel. Now, everybody wants to know, what was Paul's, what was Paul's illness? And, well, let me give you the, the scholarly opinion. We don't know. I'd say it in Latin if I knew Latin, but... We don't know. And there's a whole bunch of different ideas out there. Some people say it was a, an eyesight issue. Uh, others, a zillion different ideas. Some say it was a, um, a malaria would have been would be one idea. But go read a commentary and you'll find every, all of the positions. I'm not going to deal with them. The bottom line is we don't know. But something interrupted his travel plans. A sickness actually interrupted his travel plans. Isn't that interesting how God uses various means to make sure that the gospel is preached where he wants the gospel preached? I got plans to go over here, but God says, yeah, that's a nice plan. I got a different one and you're going to do what I want you to do. And God actually used an illness to bring about Paul to bring Paul into the Galatian region to bring about the gospel message that brought salvation to these uh, to these cities. It's amazing to me. Here is Paul sick in Galatia. Sounds like he was planning to go somewhere else, but God interrupted his plan. This is much like Adoniram Judson. I can never say his first name. Um, he was a great missionary to Burma, but he was planning on going to India. But he couldn't get into India, so he kind of diverted over to Burma, and a great work took place. See, God's going to get us going where he wants us to go. But Paul was the nice thing, the interesting here, thing here is that Paul was moving. He wasn't just sitting on his couch, 
sitting around waiting, eating bonbons, waiting for something to happen. He got up and started moving and God began to direct him where he wanted him to go. And Paul and God used Paul's weakness to show forth God's great strength. Folks, do not ever think that somehow in your might and in your intellect or in your strength or somehow uh, something in and of yourself that because you are so smart or because you are so strong, because you are so powerful, that this is the means by which God is going to work. He may work through your intellect. He may work through your strength. He may work through your ability. He may work through... Uh, all of these attributes that you may have, but don't be surprised if God works powerfully through your weakness. And don't be surprised if, like Paul, he makes you weak so that he might display his glory and his power. God is a great God, and he will use you, and he will use... He does not need you to be strong. God's already strong enough. He needs you to be available and to say, Yes, Lord. You can say, but Lord, I'm weak. Great. Just the person I'm looking for. That's who I need. I need somebody who's got nothing. But I'm not smart enough. Great. Just the person I'm looking for. I don't have anything in common with what I think you want me to do. Great. That's where I want you to go. God used Paul's weakness to accomplish God's great work. We should also note here that the message qualified Paul as the messenger. You will notice that the, the text says that, it, that, verse 14, and that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition. Notice this. It was a, my bodily condition was a trial to you. My bodily condition was not a trial to me. My bodily condition was a trial to you. In other words, the idea here is that this disease had some sort of nasty physical attributes. And it was a trial to the Galatians. Kind of like, I don't know, still pretty far away from lunchtime, some sort of oozing sore, you know, right? Or some sort of physical manifestation that somebody might say, stay away. That's nasty. But Paul says that that trial to you did not hinder you from loving me and receiving me and accepting my message. So this disease had some sort of physical aspect, but they received him. Why did they receive him? Because of the gospel of grace, because of the gospel that he proclaimed I want you to understand it is so important today as we we live in a day of celebrity pastors and celebrity Christianity. I don't have any problem with certain people being great teachers and being well recognized and that. But so oftentimes we see churches choosing their pastors based on their age and their appearance and whether they, I don't know, wear skinny jeans and, you know have a little bun on the top of their head and I don't know, they're cool and hip. What's the message that they're preaching? That's the qualification. So many times you see churches wanting paths. They need to be 20 and 30 and they need to have a family and they need, really? That's what you're looking for? I mean, I understand that we, let me give you a great example. There's a big church that, um, in, in Phoenix. And uh, they were in between pastors and they had an interim pastor come. 
He was an elderly man bent over. Not much in the way of appearance. Didn't have a great booming voice. And everybody was really concerned because this was a church of a lot of young families, um, blended families, divorced families, um, who really needed um, somebody who could relate to them and be their pastor. And they were concerned that this elderly, bent-over gentleman with kind of a squeaky voice might run off some of those families. They might leave until they could find the right pastor. But here's what they discovered. This bent-over old man with a squeaky voice loved them. He loved their young children. He loved their babies. He loved their grandparents. And he proclaimed the gospel of truth. And he was uncompromising in the words he spoke. And they loved him. Their teenagers came up and loved this man because why? Because he he wore the right clothes? No, because he loved them. And why did their, their elementary grade school kids love this pastor? Because he loved them and they knew it. And he told them the truth and he proclaimed the gospel. And he would not compromise on the gospel. And they eventually, this was a gentleman who was retired. He was filling in just until they could get a pastor. But they learned to love the truth. And they learned to love the individual who would love them. And Paul says, I preached the gospel to you. And I may not have been much in appearance, but you loved me. You loved me because of the message that I proclaimed to you. And we see this reciprocal relationship that that Paul's illness was not a hindrance. He says, in fact, you treated me like Christ himself. I had this terrible sickness. It was manifested in some sort of physical disfigurement, but you did not despise me. You actually loved me and you treated me like Christ himself. Folks, physical illness in both uh, the Jewish world and in the Roman world was often seen as a curse from God. You'll remember in John chapter 9 where the disciples asked Jesus about the blind man who sinned, this man or his parents. In other words, his blindness is due to some sort of sin. Is it his sin or is it his parents' sin? And it was no, not that much different in the Roman world that a sickness or a disfigurement like this would have been seen as somebody who was cursed by God. But they... The Galatians did not see Paul as cursed by God. They saw him as Jesus Christ himself. And they received him as Jesus Christ himself. It's amazing. Here we have Paul disfigured and sick in the, amongst the Galatian churches. And isn't this crazy? Because Paul is healing the sick in the Galatian churches. Paul in Lystra and Iconium. There's a man lame. And Paul and Barnabas heal him. And they're worshipped as gods. And here's Paul sick. Physician, heal thyself. I can easily see it. Paul, you just healed some guy who was lame and crippled in his feet. What about you? Can't you even fix yourself? And they loved Paul. And he says, you guys loved me so much, you would have sacrificed for me. You would have given your very best on my behalf. He says, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me if I needed them. And this is one reason why people think that Paul's illness was his eyesight. And, and perhaps that's true. The other idea then, of course, is that um, in the ancient world and perhaps even in today's world, your eyes were your most important possession. And so the idea is that you would have given me that which was of most valuable, that which was most valuable to you. You would have given it to me. 
That's the love that you had for me. Paul is saying, I came to you. I was nothing to look at. But you loved the message of the gospel. You received me as you would have received Christ himself. You would have sacrificed even the most valuable thing that you had. You would have given to me. And then he goes on. What happened? What happened to the blessing that we had? What happened to your happiness? What happened to the joy? This idea of blessing, this happiness. What happened to it? I bring you the gospel of grace and it is grace that brings joy. It is grace that brings blessing. It is grace that brings happiness. What happened? You ended up trading it in for some sort of legalism. Legalism doesn't bring joy. That's what happened. Legalism just leads to superiority. See, I've done all the right things. I've, I've checked the right boxes, and so now I am superior to you. And maybe one of these days, you, can check all the bo- you might check off all the boxes too, and then you'll be equal with me. But until then, oh, you poor little sinner. Paul's not saying, I want you to be like me, because I've checked off all the right boxes. See, legalism just brings... Superiority, And we see that in today's churches. We see, we've seen that throughout our history. We see that in our culture. Paul's saying, that's not what I'm talking about. But legalism can also bring inferiority. In other words, you're always chasing. You're always trying to earn something. You're always trying to do a little bit better than maybe if I do a little bit more. If I go to church a little bit more often or, or throw a little bit extra into the offering plate or if I pray a little bit longer or if I do some something, then maybe... That will get me to the place where God will like me a little bit more. Let me assure you, God already likes you a lot. God loves you a lot. You don't need to earn God's love. He already loves you. So Paul goes on, am I now your enemy? Is that what's happened? What happened to your blessing? What happened to the joy? What happened to that happiness? Have I now become your enemy? Have I become your enemy because I told you the truth? We should not be surprised that oftentimes telling people are fickle, aren't they? And they'll like us as long as we massage their egos a little bit. Amos chapter 5, verse 10 says, They hate him who reproves in the gate. They abhor him who speaks with integrity. And this was Paul's thing. He told him the truth. He said, do you hate me now because I told you the truth? And people will love us as long as we tell them what they want, to, want us, as long as they hear what they want to hear. But as soon as we tell the truth, oftentimes people will leave and people will abandon us and people will say, I don't want to have anything to do with you. But the Bible tells us that the truthful words of a good friend are so precious. Am I now your enemy because I told you the truth? See, the Judaizers would appeal to them and tell them what they wanted to hear. And the Judaizers would appeal to their pride. They would appeal to their moral goodness as though that somehow facilitates salvation. But when we simply appeal to people's moral goodness and we appeal to their pride, we minimize the cross. When we say that 
Oh, God loves you because you've done all these right things, because you're, you've done all of these good things. Oh, how God must love you. We're just appealing to people's pride and we're minimizing the cross. But the cross says that, folks, we are lost in our sin. And there is no good thing that dwells in us, but there is a good thing that dwells in Christ. And Jesus Christ the righteous died for our sake on the cross that um, we might be redeemed and made children of God. That doesn't appeal to our pride because it says that we're sinners. It doesn't appeal to our sense of goodness because it says there is no good in you. It doesn't appeal to our ability to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and move forward and and earn what I get. I don't need that charity. I'll just, I'll get it myself. See, the cross is testimony that you cannot get it yourself. The cross is evidence that you cannot make it on your own, that you cannot get to God by your own self-effort. The cross is the ultimate killing of pride because we fall down and we say, I cannot do it. It is impossible for me. Lord, do for me what I cannot do for myself. These Judaizers were self-seeking. They desired the allegiance of the Galatian churches. But they desired the allegiance of the Galatian churches simply for self-gain, simply for, to, for their own self-edification. This is the way cults work. Cults work by, you know, oh, but they're so loving and they're so kind and they're so nice. All they want is to mark you off as somebody whom they have conquered and somebody whom they have convinced. But see, all these Judaizers wanted the Galatians for was for their own prestige. They can say, see, we got these, Juda- we got these Galatian people. They're, par- they're on our side now. They were like a cutting horse who would cut out from the flock somebody and would keep them from grace, keep them under control, But Paul says, I'm not like that. My goal isn't to get you to be on my side so that I can claim you for my own. My goal is so that you would be conformed to the image of Christ, so that you would look like Christ. And this is how Paul goes on. He says, my children. Well, you don't think about Paul saying my children. Paul says, my children, with whom I am in labor again until Christ is formed in you. I don't want you to puff up. I, I, I don't need you so I can go back to the Jerusalem church and to the, all the apostles and say, hey, that Galatian thing's going great because of me and Barnabas. We got it going there. They're all following us. Look at us. Look how great we are. No, I want, I want Christ to be formed in you. I want you to look like Jesus Christ. My children, my motive is not to make you like me. I want to make you like Christ. This is a Southern Baptist church. My goal is not to make you good Southern Baptists or even bad Southern Baptists. That's just not our goal. Our goal is that you would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. I don't, we don't need you to be good Methodists or good Presbyterians or good non-denominationals or good whatever. We associate with a certain 
group of churches for the sake of missions because I think we can do more together than we can do separately. But my goal, folks, I pray that my goal and my motive is that Christ would be formed in each and every one of you. That Christ would be formed in me. And then when people would look at us, they wouldn't see us as, you know, an SBC church. They would see us as a church of Jesus Christ. Now we associate and we network with all these other churches so that we can do missions. And I think we, do it, we can do it well. But we do so, folks, we're Christians. We follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's primary. I desire to see Christ formed in us. Paul goes on, I'm in labor. I'm in labor again until Christ is formed in you. Here we see this very maternal image of Paul. I'm not interested in personal gain. I don't care if I get rich. I don't care if you're a little notch on my belt. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is that Christ be formed in you. Not whether I get rich or get your tithes and offerings, but that Christ be formed in you. That you understand that Christ is sufficient. And that is the goal. I pray that that remains the goal of this ministry. And Paul ends this section with, I'm confused. I don't get it. I'm perplexed. I came to you. Me and Barnabas came to you. We came to you in weakness. We preached the gospel of grace. You received it with great joy. You received us as Jesus Christ himself. And then somebody came along and distorted that. And now you don't like us. Now we're your enemies. Now you've rejected the gospel of grace. I don't get it. What happened? What happened? All I want is that Christ would be formed in you. And you have now are at least in danger of turning away from that Jesus Christ who will save you. So as I said, I'll conclude with this. As I said, not a whole lot of theological exposition in this passage of text, but we do get a heart or a sense of Paul's heart. We see that Paul's heart was that the Galatians would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. He desired that the image of Christ would flow out of them. This is why when Paul says in, in chapter 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in, in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives. Christ now is living in me. That's what I want for you. That's what I want. I want you to die to Christ. And then I want the risen Christ to live his life out through you. And so that when people look upon you, what they see is not an image of the Apostle Paul, not the image of the first southern church of Jerusalem, but that they see Jesus Christ and that wherever you go, that image of Jesus Christ would be taken. So when you go to your PTA meetings, there is the image of Christ. When you go and you participate on your softball team, there the image of Christ is manifest. And when you go and you are with your homeschool group, there is the image of Christ. And when you're in a board meeting or you're at your job or you're in your cubicle and you're in some sort of... um, meeting with your boss and your associates, there the image of Christ is being born. And there people see the love and the image of Jesus. That's what I want. And then we will all gather together 
on the Lord's Day and we will celebrate. The image of Christ comes together and we will celebrate and we will worship the resurrected Christ who is living his life through us. That's what Paul wants. I pray that's what we want. I pray that that's what we work for as a church, that we would bear the image of Christ wherever we would go and that we would foster that conformity to Christ. See, when Christ forms our inner life, then we are free to enjoy what Christ enjoys. And we will delight to do His will. We will be free from the law of self-salvation. And we will be free to live in the grace of Christ who loved us and gave Himself for us. So I pray today that the image of Christ would be formed in each and every one of us.